Father, thank you for another opportunity to open up your word where a, a man of, of humble means wrote a letter to a group of people in the city of Corinth to address many things that are helpful for us today. Father, I want to lift up uh, this church. I want to lift up our pastor and our chairman of elders as they are visiting a uh, member in the church. It's just a difficult situation. Father, many in our church are, are going through difficult times. It's difficult in this life, Father, but we know that it's all in your hands. So, Father, at all times, help us see it from your perspective so that we can understand it from your perspective and allow us to leave it in your hands and not try to take it out of your hands. And of that, I am the world's worst. And I ask for your forgiveness. Father, I ask that you be with us as we go through the, your word today. Be with us as we break up into our groups, as we discuss this, that we would learn from one another, we would help one another, and we could go out in this community and share your great love. Uh, tell them about it, that they would seek you out. We thank you and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, that is a typo on the first page. I apologize for that. We're actually in the third chapter. And so, uh, if you'll recall, Paul went to uh, the city in Corinth in 49 A.D., and he wrote this letter in 55 A.D., and we're going to see some, some things that are coming out that, uh, that are very applicable to us here in Brenham or Washington County or this state or wherever it is that you go. It doesn't matter the city uh, in this nation. There are similar things that are taking place. And in some cases, we feel like that today is the worst it's ever been. That is not true. There's no new sin under the sun. It just has a new name, uh, and it's a new flavor of the day. But it grieves our hearts when we, when we do see it. So as you can see there when we're looking at chapter 3, the title there it deals with mature believers. And where you have maturity, that means a desire to grow, a desire to hold on to the Word. You will have unity within the local body. But where you have immaturity that is taking place, you're going to have divisions, you're going to have problems. And Paul uh, certainly brings this out. So from last week... I want to uh, bring us back up to speed on a couple of things. You'll recall that uh, we were looking at the mysteries of God, which were things that were formerly unknown or formerly not fully revealed. So in the New Testament time, when we see the cross, we see the empty grave, we can look back at all that, we can understand it. If you'll recall, one example was Isaiah 53. Isaiah is looking down the corridors of time some 800 years into the future, and he goes in and he looks back at the cross. And, and he's explaining that, that they did not understand. So he's looking forward. Well, the only way that they could fully understand that is on this side of the cross, when we have the teaching of Christ, we understand the resurrection of Christ, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, then we can understand that more fully. So all of that, the Holy Spirit's involved in all of that. So as the Lord was revealing things to his apostles, to his disciples, that was called revelation. So God was making it known to them what was on his mind. The things that were formerly unknown that are now known to his apostles and uh, those that uh, were with them. So... We needed to capture the thoughts of, of God's mind and the history of what God was doing, and so we needed the New Testament to, so we could future generations could understand the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so from there, the apostles and a couple of other writers would write, and when they wrote, that was the inspiration of that the Holy Spirit would hover over them and inspired what they wrote such that what God wanted written was written without violating their unique personality. So Paul writes different than Luke, that's different than Mark, and, uh, and you see that. And then, so we have the writings, and I'd shared a couple of years ago, the, the canon of Scripture was really solidified in, at the Council of Carthage in 395 A.D., which is the 66 books that we have today. 
uh, were recognized by the church. That's when it really uh, was recognized, finally. And so we have those writings today, and when you and I read them, we have the illumination, the Holy Spirit illuminates it. So I shared with you a a verse last uh, week, and let me just share this with you. There were, when I was saved, I didn't grow up in church, okay? I, I, I didn't have that pedigree, if you will. And so when I was saved and I would read the Word of God, I had never read some of these things before. Some of it I had tried to read before it made absolutely no sense. But once I was saved and I would read things in Scripture, I would, I would sit there on the side of my bed and put my, my head in my hands and i say, God, how can you make so much sense? The difference between then and now is the illumination, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I had not been taught that by any preacher I'd not been taught that by any Bible study or life group or anything like that. I was reading it for the first time, and it made incredible sense. And that is the illuminative work of the Holy Spirit. And so if we read the Bible void of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's an academic exercise at best. That's all that it is. It won't have substantive meaning in your life void of the Holy Spirit. So that is why we are so dependent on God for everything. And so some of the key themes last week were Paul was emphasizing the need of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the culture was very godless. The culture was very worldly. The culture was very big on human wisdom, the ability to enter into a debate and have all these wonderful public speaking skills. And so Paul's writing into that, that culture, and he's, he's speaking of God's wisdom that's revealed in the cross, and that is alien to, to human wisdom, even to today. Why, does, why would Jesus die? That question is still prevalent today. And then God's Spirit alone can interpret God's wisdom to Christian believers, and the Spirit grants power for believers to demonstrate God's wisdom. So when I would read the, the New Testament and I would interact with others, whether at work or in public or wherever, I could then remember what I had read and what I had been told. Even when I was a very baby Christian, I, could, I was different in, in how I interacted with others. Uh, one thing for me, it is amazing, soon after I got saved, it was about four days after I got saved, I'm driving into work one morning, and I just happened to be on the, the radio station listening to the, old, the late J. Vernon McGee, and he was speaking, and I thanked God as I was pulling into where I worked, Thank you for cleaning my language up. I've gone three days now, as best I know, without saying something that I shouldn't. You know, I mean, clean my language up. And I didn't take a class on that. It just happened. And so that was the Holy Spirit that was working in my life, and I was so thankful. And then maturity, spiritual maturity, is to demonstrate the mind of Christ in all matters of life. And this doesn't happen overnight. We grow in this, in in community. So in chapter 2, we pointed out that uh, there were two classes of people, two classes of mankind that Paul is addressing. And the first one there, it referred to as the natural person. They're, they're ruled by the flesh. They're lost. They, they're following after the schemes and the whims and, and all the things of the world. And the things of God are truly foolish to them. Why do you go to church? Why do you invest in things of God that you can't even see, that you can't hear, and that you can't touch? Why are you wasting all of your time going and hanging out with those weird people at church? You dress up on Sunday. Why don't you take it easy? I mean, you need a day off from work. Why are you doing all of these things? Those are the questions that the world asks. I'd ask the same thing. So that's the natural person. And then Paul spoke of the spiritual person. That's the one that is saved, that has the Holy Spirit uh, leading and guiding and guarding them so that we can understand the truths of God. So we have the lost and the saved. Well, now Paul gets into the different, um, I guess, the different levels of maturity among believers. And this is prevalent then and it's prevalent today. So you'll sometimes hear the carnal Christian, really the immature Christian, They're saved, but 
in in the wording, and I and I don't have time to go into all of this, but they're but they're motivated by self. It is a self motivation. They're saved. They're just not surrendering to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life like they should. Okay. And so they're worldly-minded. They're caught up in all of the things of the world. That has a higher priority in their life than the things of God. Though they are saved, they are immature in their walk. Okay? And then the other person that Paul is speaking of, he touches on it a little bit, is the mature, the spiritual Christian. And this would be an individual that is saved and that has the intentionality of growing in Christ. Um, and that that's different for different people. Okay, it, you know we we are all growing. Some of us will take different paths. What I mean by that is somebody will have a one-on-one mentor. Somebody will be in a in a in a group setting where they're discussing the Word of God. There may be somebody who is very studious and listens to podcasts all the time, and they're taking notes and all this. So they're on some trail, if you will, of spiritual growth. Okay. Uh, they, they, but they're engaged in, in growth. Now, their status, okay, as a carnal immature or a mature or spiritual is going to reveal itself and it's going to manifest itself in your life. Because what's interesting, James speaks of this, what's in the heart is going to come off, off your lips, okay? And so when you're listening to conversations and, and it's, it's how you act, your posture, your body language, all of these things is a good indicator of who is number one in your life, okay? So uh, Paul is uh, making a, a difference there, if you will. Now, as I said, there is so much and so deep that we could go here, but I'm trying to, to uh, approach it. How are we going to live this out, and how will we communicate this to others that are around us? How can we best uh, exemplify this? And so I've, I've got a few things here that I want to show you. So when we come to chapter 3, verses 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 4, if you would. And it says here, it says, And I, brethren, now he's speaking to the believers there in, in Corinth, the Corinthian church, could not speak to you as spiritual men or people, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Some translations will say babes in Christ, like babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For if you are still fleshly, okay, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly or worldly? And are you not walking like mere men? In other words, they're emulating the world though they are saved. So remember, Paul visits Corinth in 49 A.D. He's there about 18 months. He goes away, and then in the year 55 A.D. from the city of Ephesus, he writes this letter. So we see the contrast of when he showed up and when he got there. So when he showed up to these, these folks, and he's the spreading the gospel, he had to do it in the very elementary terms. He had to speak as though he's speaking to an infant so that an infant could understand it. And so it would be like milk, if you will, and that is appropriate for their level. So when um, a couple of weeks ago um, I had the opportunity uh, on the front row, it was after the second service, it was after the, the last week that I preached, there was a couple that came down here and they did not know Christ. And so I shared Christ with them. It was very basic. And they both accepted Christ. Okay? So that was at an elementary level. Now, when they're doing life, they're learning from other people. Five years from now, when we're having a conversation, I need to be having a little bit different conversation than I did on the front row. They are growing and they're learning. And so that's what Paul is trying to show here. The people had not grown. So let's suppose that there is a baby that's 10 months old. And you see it. Babies are awesome, especially when we put the baby lotion on them and they're soft and they smell good. They're just babies are incredible. They're sucking on a bottle and all that other stuff. It's just making little noises and all that. They're incredible. But what happens if you saw a 10-year-old who had the ability to eat real food and had the ability to get up out of the bouncy seat and had the ability to get up on their own feet, but they're laying in the bouncy seat at 10 years old sucking a bottle? And you'd say, what a tragedy. 
Do you know that that tragedy is in a lot of Christians' lives? Because they're still at 10 months of age because they're not allowing the Spirit to lead them. They're going after all manner of things and they're not growing in Christ, and that's what Paul is addressing. And because of that, they have all of these problems in the church. And so the immaturity and a lack of a real desire to grow, okay? They're saved, okay? They're going to go to heaven, okay? They, but, they're, but they're not growing, and it brings about a lot of problems when you don't have growth in the church. And so notice what happens when you have this lack of maturity, Right away, they're thinking in human terms. They're assessing things in human terms. They're wanting to handle them in human terms. They're elevating human things because they loved the wisdom of the culture. They loved the, the great speakers, and they loved all the, the, the way that the commerce was there. Remember I said that if you borrowed money, uh, there was the expectation that not only you'd pay the money back, but you had to go be this person's promoter out in the, in, the, in the city and tell everybody what a great guy he is, though he may be a criminal. So there was a lot of deception. And Paul is saying, no, we don't, we don't act like that. And so they're thinking in an in a immature way. Out of that comes jealousy. So they're jealous uh, within the church, if you will, of they would be jealous of other people. They would be jealous of other giftings, if you will, okay? Um, they would they would desire those things that God didn't want them to do. God may have wanted them to do something else, but since they were looking at it from a human perspective, well, that's what I want to do. Well, that might not be what God wants you to do because you're uniquely gifted for this. So there would be jealousy amongst the people, and that happens today. There would be strife. There would be bitter contention between Facts, claims, and opinions. That's a good old Southern Baptist church fight that I've been talking about a couple of times. So let's talk about the, the contention between facts. It is a fact that God has called us to make disciples. He told that to the disciples. We're to go and make disciples. So it is an absolute fact that we are to go out and share Christ with others. Disciples are supposed to make disciples. And so that's what we're to be about. And so it's, it's the shingles on the church roof are 25 years old, and it's time to change them. And so you got the group over here that wants the, the Chateau Green shingles, and you want the, got the group over here that wants the, the brown shingles, and you got the group over here that wants the black shingles. You gotta, they're, they're worrying about shingles and not sinners getting saved. And that is what's going on right here. Who cares about the shingles? The shingles are not eternal. The hurricane's going to come in and blow them off. And we're worried about shingles than we are about sinners getting saved and us going out and do them. So those are the little, the little silly things that, that take place. And you got a church fight because our, mind isn't on, our minds are not on what we need to be on. And then we would elevate other humans. I follow this person or I follow this person. Oh, such and such baptized me. My baptism was a little better than your baptism. That's silly, okay? Um, whenever uh, a, a youth is getting baptized, I always, I always want Neil to baptize them. That's their youth minister. I want them to do it. Or I would rather somebody else baptize them that has the personal connection because it has nothing to do with Alan. Because um, guess what? Alan sinned that morning. Okay? And so did the person that I'm baptizing. Okay? We're all sinners. And so we can't elevate humans uh, in, in any category like that because... The wisdom of mankind is here today and gone tomorrow. The wisdom of mankind is always changing. And you compare that to the wisdom of God, we should not look, we shouldn't crown anybody, any human in our life a guru. We should not do that. We should look only to Christ. And so we have this immaturity in the church, and it's characteristic of those that are, that are worldly, but those that are, that are mature, that are wanting to grow, that is characteristic of those that are, that are seeking God. And so the immaturity in a church will cause the, the issues in the church, and we resemble the world. So when you hear from time to time, 
why do I go to church because it's no different than the world? What they're saying is, is that we have these issues and these divisions in our church because the constituency of the church, and it could be the leadership, it could be a number of things, we're not moving in the right direction and we're not growing. And that's what Paul is, is speaking into. So everybody has a role in the spiritual growth of the church. You do your part in concert with everybody else, and the body grows, okay? It's, if, you, uh, if you're a bodybuilder and you're lifting weights, and let's say you're doing curls, it's not only your bicep that you're working. You're working your elbow, you're working your wrist, your grip. You're all working together. If it was only this, the rest of this wouldn't work. You couldn't do it. So we all have to work together, and that, that is important. So in maturity, you look like we're saved, but we're resembling the world. We don't want to be there. We want to resemble that that is mature, moving to God and studying uh, God's Word and growing. And so that's what Paul is bringing out. So as we move along deeper into the chapter there, we come to verses uh, uh, chapter 3, 5 through 9. And we're seeing Paul give some examples into that culture of the roles that we have in the, in the local church. So follow along with me if you would in verses 5 through 9. And remember, we referred back to chapter 1. We, people were following after Apollos and, 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 and all of that. And it says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. They were but the messengers. That's all that Paul and Apollos were. Messengers of the word of God. They're not the Messiah. I planted, Apollos watered. But God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and it's important that we get that. Uh, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Apollos and Paul, me, anybody else... We're messengers. We, we are messengers that, that communicate the word of God. There's, I can't save you. I can't turn that water into anything that it's not. It's not I can't make it holy water. I can't, it's tap water from Brenham, Texas. But what it is is it represents a changed life in front uh, to, to the Lord and to your people. So I'm nobody but a messenger. Okay? And then... Servants serve out of the will of God. When I say out of, from, not out of, and that you're, you're not following his will. But there was a person who plants, there's a person who waters. So in agriculture, there's one that tills the ground. There's the person who tends the oxen that provides the mechanism to do that. There's a guy that builds the plow, okay? There's the the perhaps the wife and the mother that is that is taking care of the children and then making sure the children are prepared as they're going out and working. And so all of this is coming together. We're all fellow workers, if you will, in, in what God is doing. And so we serve out of that. So Tim is the lead pastor. He leads and he feeds. That would be a, a, a good way of describing that is he leads and he feeds. Well, Jason leads worship, okay? And out of worship comes shepherding and praying and, and, and coordinating all of these things that, that take place. And then there's Neil who, who leads our youth right now. He's over there sharing Christ with youth, okay, who no telling what they went through today. And then Addie is there uh, sharing the love of Christ with children. We have no idea what they went through today. And then Debbie and was over there with BTXLA and a lot of kids, we don't know what they went through, but we're sharing the love of Christ. All of that comes together, okay? Um, there, I don't know if he's in here or not, but I'm going to talk about Rick Nyhart. Rick Nyhart, are you in here? You're not in here. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on him a little bit. Okay, uh, Rick was there when I moved. He moved me from Walter to here, okay? And so Rick is, is there every morning. There's others, okay? I'm not saying but, but Rick, uh, he's there every morning. He's got his, his, his small brimmed cowboy hat on. He's watering the plants. He's blowing off the parking lot, and he's out there parking. 
There's Lauren out there. They're parking in the parking lot. There's people that are guarding the campus and the shepherding team. If those individuals aren't doing their job, when you walk into the church, what do you got? I can't find a parking space. There's leaves and junk all over the front porch. The plants are dying. Do you see how when you walk onto the campus and then I'm greeted in the parking lot at the door, the first-time guest is going to say, those people are interested in me, okay? And so when they come in here and engage in worship and they hear the word, their heart is already prepared because they feel welcome. So Tim could be up here thundering off a Sinai. I mean, he could just be hitting it. But if the whole package isn't there, God working through everybody, that's not what God wants. He wants everybody working together. So when everybody is working together, God is going to cause the growth numerical and spiritual within that local body when everybody are working together as one, okay? We all work together as one, and God is growing the people who desire to grow, the spiritual maturity, the spiritual mature people, or that are on that trajectory. But if there is a church full of people that have no desire to grow, none whatsoever, and they're worrying about things they don't need to worry about, those are the churches that have for sale signs in their front yard because they chose to be about themselves in most cases, okay, in most cases. Uh, now, I know sometimes a factory will close and the city, the population dwindles. I understand that. But in a lot of cases, it is the strife that's in the church that causes the doors to close, and that's not what we should have. So we have people that do different things. We all have one agenda, God's agenda, that the Word of God is preached, Christ crucified is preached, and that people come to know Christ and people come to grow in Christ. So we all work together. doesn't matter who it is. Maybe it's at the Welcome Center, and the first-time guest came. They hadn't been in church in 15 years. We, we do our best to make you feel welcome, and then now they want to come in and hear the Word, so we all work together. So if we all have one agenda... There's no room for jealousy, okay? It doesn't mean that we don't have problems, okay? Ain't a church in life that, that, that's, that's meeting that doesn't have issues. We all, because we're made up of humans, okay? But, but we have the agenda of moving forward. That removes the, the room for all the worrying about the shingles, okay? That, we don't worry about those things or the carpet or uh, Jason didn't play that song exactly like I wanted it, Okay? Well, when we worship you, then we'll ask you what song you want, okay? But if we're worshiping God, we're going to do what God wants, okay? Does every song that Jason plays, do I know it and do I particularly, is it my favorite? No, but it ain't about Alan. It is about God. It is 100% about, I do like your worship, Jason. But anyway, what I'm saying is, it's not about any one of us. It's all, it's all going to him, okay? And so I know he prays about that. So we all work together, and that's what Paul wants for us. That's what the Lord wants for us. And so when we're serving where God has placed us, that is how it's going to work out best. And when it works out, he gets the credit. He gets the credit. I went to a church, and it, it had a list, it had a picture of all the preachers that had ever been at that church. And then all the Sunday school teachers, and they were going to paint the walls. And Lord forbid, if you took a picture down and put it, didn't put it back up, we were elevating humans. A new pastor came in, and they all went in the closet. Because we don't need to be worrying about elevating humans. We're elevating Christ. And so together, we're fellow workers, and all that we do, we honor God. And all that we do. So when we are in worship, and we're leading worship, or we're speaking, or we're praying, or we're meeting with people and we're praying, or they're in the sound booth, they're running the lights, or doing all these other things, it's all for the glory of God, and it honors Him. So out of that, just like the Corinthian church, we are a field where there is work that is taking place, and then the people uh, are under construction. And so we come to a building. So now the building is sort of a transitional verse. It's kind of hard to capture in the, the way the English is written, but we see the term there for a building there at the end. I want to point that out. Okay, you see there it says, uh, Therefore we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, comma, God's building. So Paul is making a transition. 
going into a building. So when we're all working together, it's when the, when the Lord is being honored. So when we come now to uh, verses 10 through 15, follow along with me if you will. In 10 through 15, it says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. In other words, it was given to him. There's the revelation. I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man, each woman, each teacher, each preacher, each evangelist must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will come, I mean, for will come, and the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. Remember the other day, uh, we were in Second Timothy, and Tim was using the term, we got some Christians that are like charcoal. Okay, that's kind of what he's referring to. We're going, we're, we're being refined, we're being tested, our works are being tested. They very well may be burned up, but we're going to be saved. So what does all that mean? First of all, notice the humility of the writer, Paul. He recognizes where he gets everything that he has from. So his, his ability to serve as an apostle was undeserved. If you'll recall, he was a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. He was a staunch, uh, uh, staunchly against Christians. He was going to kill Christians, and God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. So anything that he has is undeserved. It is all because God gave it to him. So Paul is saying the foundation, okay, that he laid, what he laid there in Corinth was that which was laid by Christ. Christ laid the foundation. Now, Paul didn't have a New Testament, but he laid Christ crucified as the foundation there in Corinth. He didn't lay another foundation. He didn't talk about this person or that person. He talked about Christ and Him crucified. That is an essential of the faith. When you diverge or you get away from the person and work of Jesus Christ, when you, when you begin to whittle or explain that away, that is heresy, and I spoke on that uh, a couple of weeks ago. You have to build on that foundation. And so those who come later, whatever they teach, however they preach, whether they're evangelism or whatever it is that they do, that they are part of building, building up the body. Everything that they do, it has to rest and fit up on that foundation because if it's not on that foundation, it is not up on Christ, and then we fall back to the wisdom of mankind that doesn't last. It's foolish. So in the building, if you will, Paul's using some terms here that to describe that. And so he uses uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. That would be something like marble or granite or alabaster where you are, you are building uh, something that is, that is wonderful, that is beautiful. Okay? And that represents spiritual service to build up the body when you're using those fine, those fine items. And so that's the stuff that's kingdom that's the stuff that's going to last. And then we have other type of building materials, uh, the wood, hay, and straw. That's inferior. They have no eternal value. If I light a match and I stick it up to gold, nothing's going to happen. The gold's going to remain. Or if I stick it up to silver, it will remain. But if I stick a little bitty match up to straw... That is going to catch the hay on fire, and then we'll catch the wood on fire, and then after a while, all you've got is smoldering ashes. So Paul is saying that what you and I do, if it was out of the motive of the heart, your heart, a fleshly heart that is thinking in human terms, 
It's not going to last. But if you surrender yourself and say, Lord, lead me in this that I'm doing, work with others that will make sure that you're, you're doing what the Lord would have you do, and you're selfless, you're others-seeking, you're about the other, you're about others growing, and you're not getting any credit, those are the precious stones. And those do not burn up. Is a real simple way of what Paul is saying. So what we do, God discerns and God judges. Everything that we do where we are serving. For instance, when my wife and I got married, uh, we were meeting with a pastor. I was lost at the time. I might have mentioned this a while back. I didn't understand some things, and he was telling me, he goes, I got men that serve in the parking lot, and they're sinning. What? I didn't understand it at the time. What he's saying is, is they're out there so they can be seen. He says, they're in the parking lot, and they're sinning. So that is a service, not serving, not parking cars is, is that, but they were doing it to be seen so they could, they could jockey, and the Lord says, that, that's going to that's burn up. That's not going to last. But if you're out there because you have a desire to greet somebody or maybe give them an umbrella when it's raining because you want them to get in and you want them to, you're concerned about them and you don't care if you get wet, that's gold and silver and precious stones because you're investing in somebody else from the proper heart and you're not doing it to be seen. That's what Paul is saying here. The world will do it to be seen. For instance, when somebody goes overseas, there's 15 cameras when they're feeding some kids. Why don't you just go feed some kids and not tell anybody about it, okay? Why do you, why do you have to tell the world that you're over there feeding some kids? Why don't you do this? Why don't you just send the money over there and quit wasting the money and buy jet fuel to get yourself over there to feed kids? Why don't you just send it over there and, and pay those people to feed the kids and invest it there? But no, we've got to have all the cameras out there. That's straw, hay, and wood, okay? But if you invest it there and you're not care about who gets the glory, that's the precious stones um, and the gold and the silver. Okay. Well, what if you're a believer and you've done some service and uh, it's, it's not from the right heart? What, what about that? Well, though your stuff may burn up, you will not. And there's some verses of Scripture uh, that you talk about eternal life in John 5, 24. It says, I tell you the, I think this is the one, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me and has eternal life, he will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life, if I'm not mistaken. What it means there is that if you are saved, you will not be condemned. You've crossed over from death to life. So when you check out of this existence, you're not going to come into condemnation. You've received eternal life, okay? But some of the things that you did, they're, they're not going to be around very long. They're going to get burned up in, in, in the judgment. So you won't forfeit your salvation. You're just, some of the stuff that you did, it's going to be gone. So I say this often. When we stand before God, we need to have a little bit more to show for our Christian life, we need to have a little bit more to show for the death of Christ than I joined a church and my name was on an attendance sheet in a Sunday school class. That is not the Christian life. That is not. There's, there, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no service in the Bible for showing up to church. You're supposed to, according to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. That's a command. We're not rewarded for following commands, okay? That, that's something that we're supposed to do. Okay, and, and having our name on an attendance sheet doesn't score us any points in heaven. Okay, that's something that we, Sunday school, of course, isn't in the Bible, uh, but those are things that we need to do. Where what we need to have to show for our Christian life is a selfless heart, care and concern for others that is motivated out of, a, out of the, the Holy Spirit leading us and in serving in the body. Okay. Uh, I told y'all that uh, my wife had drugged me downstairs to serve in the three and a half of the four-year-olds. I know there are some stones in heaven for me for serving in those ministries. I just know, okay, because that was tough, all right? I'm kidding, of course, but um, we need to show that we're pouring into others, 
in some capacity. And so uh, I'm not legalistic about that. We just need to show that we, uh, that we are pouring into others and we're doing life in the body. For instance, when I pick up this cup of coffee, my little finger and my thumb are working together, okay? If I lose both of them, it's very hard for me to hold on to this cup of coffee. So if, if uh, you are walking and your knee is complaining that you're not as important as the hip muscle or the thigh muscle because the thigh muscle is bigger, what happens to you if the knees just quit? You fall down. So what happens when you quit? Who's going to fall? You are important. Whoever you are in Christ, you are important, and you have a vital role. It may take a little while to figure out exactly what that is, but be on the journey to find out what that is because you are important. Christ died for you, and he has something uniquely for you that he wants to use in his kingdom to reach other people. So this is some of what Paul is talking about. So then we come to verses uh, 16 and 17. And then it says, do you not know that you, the you there is plural, okay, it's not you as singular, it's plural because he's speaking to the local church, that you, you could say, do you not know that you as the Corinthian church are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. So Paul reminds believers here, okay, in, the, in, the, in, in this letter, um, that uh, they are a temple collectively, um, that God dwells in them, and it's the Holy Spirit that mediates that present, okay? Think of this, God the Father is on His throne, Christ died for you, sits at the right hand of the Father, but is the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in, in the believer. So it is the Holy Spirit that you could say mediates the presence of God. So Paul's emphasis here is that the the spirit of god is dwelling in the in the in the body of believers of which each person is an individual this does not negate that the holy spirit dwells in individuals remember when i told you that when uh, i was reading the word of god no one had ever taught that to me that i forget where i was is in the gospels and i read it and i thought to myself how can you make so much sense i hadn't learned that in sunday school no one had ever told me that that was the Holy Spirit moving in me. So the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the individual and collectively in the body. But Paul's emphasis here is in that local, that local assembly. And so they're a collective organism, if you will, and he wants them to understand the dignity that he, where he's taken them out of, that, that godless culture, that Christ died for them, Paul told them about it, they were saved, and now he wants them to go. There's dignity in that. So nobody can ultimately destroy the, the temple of God, the, the New Testament church. Nobody can, nobody can destroy that because that's the bride of Christ. He's coming back to, to get his bride. So nobody can do ultimately destroy it, okay? However, somebody can come in and stir up trouble. They can begin stirring things up seeking to, to bellyache and whine and complain and teach, really teach heresy is what, what we're referring to, and, and bring about dissension because it's false teaching. It's not that you don't like what's being taught. It's that it's false teaching is the emphasis here. In other words, that there's another way to God besides Christ. And so Second Peter and Jude reference that. So if someone comes in to destroy what is going on in the local church, uh, God is, he doesn't like that very well. And so that individual is, con, is kept for condemnation. Now, local churches close their doors sometimes because they didn't deal with that. They, they didn't deal with the false teaching. So you have to allow no entry for that to take place. That's why we have starting blocks. And I ask for your testimony. So... I want to read something to you I got in the news or in the email today. I get this from church leaders. It's, uh, it's called Eight Ways Satan Attacks the Church. Okay? I showed this to Tim and his eyes got big. And I said, no, it, we're, de- <laughs> we're dealing with immaturity. But, but I want you to listen to these things. Okay? This is why the church needs to guard the doctrine of Christ and protect 
from false teaching, from heresy. Satan attacks through congregational division. Okay, when you're divided over the shingles, shingles have more discussion than reaching centers. That that's division in the church. Okay, that's just a simple example. He will he will attack through there. He attacks through family breakdown. Okay, when the when the family is is broken, the enemy will slip in and create havoc in that family that just it just grows. He attacks through hidden sin. When there is hidden sin in the church or in families, okay, that we're not dealing with, he will slip in and cause more trouble. He attacks through transfer growth diversion. What I mean by that is, is let's say that uh, there was an individual who was in a church and he, he or she or they were they not, not, didn't do some good stuff. And so they just choose to leave and go across the country, and they want to join another church, and they drag that in there with them. Okay, that's what we're talking about. That's why we have starting blocks, and I ask you to write your testimony out so that we can at least, as best we can, sense your heart that you have been saved. And then he attacks through self-dependence when we rely on self and not the Spirit. He attacks through discipleship distraction which means that when we are not growing as a church, we're not being discipled, that he will attack through uh, when we're distracted and we're not growing. we're, We're thinking worldly and fleshly. He will attack through that. And he attacks through, um, through hopelessness. So when, remember when I said earlier, either I got this or Christ has this. And so I have to realize that Christ has this. And if he's got it, I don't have to worry about it. But if I have to worry about it, then I am—I feel hopeless because I can't fix it. All of my mind is on this that I'm trying to hold, okay? And so my mind is off the things that it needs to be. And that's when he can slip in. And then he attacks through false teaching, okay? So that is why is we're seeing Paul, We each one of us, should be on a, on a growth, on a trajectory of spiritual growth with one another. It is so, so, so important. So when Paul is, or I'm sorry, when Tim is talking about doing life together, there are some of those things that are, that are built into that that we are learning from one another, uh, that we're growing. And so we allow no entry. And then as I said from the pulpit, if a person is stirring up trouble, not that there's a disagreement with something going on. Okay, I'm not talking about that. That's going to happen. But if a person is stirring up trouble, they have to get an eviction notice. You, you're not allowed to do that here because sheep are vulnerable to that, and they, they, they're just not allowed to do that. So then we go into 18 and uh, verse 18 to 23. And so it says, Let no man deceive himself. So it's self-deception. If any man among you thinks he is wise, in this age he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Interesting play on words there. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, all things present or all things to come, all things belong to you. And then verse 23, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. There's there's a lot there. So let's unpack that. So in the Christian life, there's always the possibility that a person is going to deceive themselves. Okay, they... they, uh, they think they have a good understanding. This would be this would be one way that we could do it. They think they have a good understanding, and they're they're not uh, walking with others and their understanding of the word. And they go out and they they start talking it, and no one is correcting them. And they go down a road and they're they're espousing that which they don't understand, and so they've they've deceived themselves into something because we're we're not walking with one another. So we can step into things because we're not paying attention to the Word of God and we deceive ourselves. 
Another way that we can deceive ourselves is having worldly thinking. We think too much of ourselves. Okay, that is that is big self-deception. We don't have a humble assessment of ourselves. And so, if we have an exalted view of of ourselves or the world or the wisdom of the world, okay, then that has to go away, and the individual has to be foolish. Uh, in the eyes of the world, because when we're foolish in the eyes of the world in the things of God, then that's the estimation that we want from God. So in other words, when when um, if I'm reading the Word or I'm not engaging in things, that seems foolish to the world. Okay, I'm not going to share who it was, but recently there was a couple that, that went on a little vacation a few days ago. And so um, they have the mindset of growing in Christ. They want to grow. So they're under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you recall from last week, we can see the differences in the world. I can determine that, okay, that's of the Lord, and that is certainly not. So they go, and it's a time of recreation. And there's a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of things being said that is not of the Lord. And... And sometimes that can be sickening to the point that you want to leave. You don't want to be a part of that. So when you're led by the Spirit, that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be caught up in that stuff. You want to, you want to be where that is not the, 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 that life, not the people, but the life is the stench. You don't want that. You want to be around those that are lifting you up. So you have to discern that. And if God's called you to go there to witness, then by all means do it, but you don't get caught up in, in that you share Christ, and then you, you get out of that. And so you can, you can see the disparity there. And so that, according to the world, is the way to live. Over here, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm pointing at two different people. I'm sorry, please don't read into that. <laughs> I'm talking about Jack and Ginger. I was two different people here. But, uh, but so we, want, we, we live over here so we can see what is happening over here, and we don't want to be caught up in that. And so we can, we can see it. This is the way life is according to the world. When they look at this, this seems foolish. This seems boring. I tried to share Christ with a young Marine that was, uh, that he, he was getting ready to go to embassy duty. And I was trying to share Christ with him. And he said, with all due respect, that sounds rather boring. I was trying to share Christ with him. He was going away in some foreign country. And I was trying to share Christ with him. And he listened. He said, with all due respect, that sounds real boring. So what I was sharing with him seemed foolish. And, it, I mean, it broke my heart. I, I, wanted, uh, um, I wanted him to accept Christ, but he, but he didn't. Uh, I, I never saw him again. Anyway, so we notice the contrast between the world and between what God has. Now, we're quoting Job 5.13 there. I won't go into all that, that Job is being told there. I just want you to reference that, that, that in verse 19 is a quote from, uh, from Job. Whoop, I guess it, there we go. Okay, so now we continue. And then in, in verse 20, Paul quotes from Psalm uh, uh, 94, uh, 11, and it emphasizes the world, uh, the Lord knows everything. He knows all that, that, that everything that is going on, the wise, the in the wise of this world, in other words, when you are operating out of worldly wisdom, he catches it every time, okay? And such is, is futile, such is, uh, it's empty, it's fruitless. So the Corinthians were placing a premium on this wisdom of the world, this, in, in their dealings, and Paul said, that is not how you are to live. You are to live differently than that, and uh, you need to... Uh, Exhibit that in your life. And then in 3, uh, 21 and 22, I've given you several verses there. We won't turn there. But we don't boast in others. They don't get the credit for what is built. God does. All believers are God's people, and we inherit the things that God is doing. So we are an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. And so we have a great inheritance. And so all of these things, that wonderful things that God is doing, that is an inheritance for those that, that have surrendered their life to him. And then in 23, you belong to Christ, okay? The church of which you are a member belongs to Christ. So this church doesn't belong to any human, doesn't belong to the elders, uh, doesn't, doesn't belong to any people, it belongs to Christ. And so 
uh, Paul makes that clear. And then Christ belongs to God and that uh, Jesus is God's Messiah. We're in union with the Father in John 10. And if Christ belongs to God, so do we, since we are in Christ. Okay, now think about this. How far away are you from God the Father? Not very far, because if we're in Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of the Father, uh, we're real close to God the Father. The distance is put in by us. We step back. But we're close to God. We are so close to Him when we're in Christ and we're living like that. Again, there is the, the maturity that, that Paul would, would have us uh, uh, move on. So what are some key themes? Christianity that has not matured in God's spirit is, is as if you are an infant. You don't, wanna, you don't want to be like an infant and not growing because infants need to be fed. They need to be nurtured by others. But the infants soon learn how to walk on their own. They soon learn how to clothe themselves. They soon learn how to feed themselves. And they soon learn how to make decisions. So it's just like a Christian. We need to get out of the training wheels. And then Christian leaders are servants. They're nobody special. And then there are requirements of God's servants. They're those What we do needs to be from a kingdom-motivated heart. That's the requirement, not the hay, uh, stubble, or, or straw, or wood. And that we have responsibility uh, in the community and individuals. The only foundation is that of Christ. There's no other foundation. Remember when Tim said uh, Oprah or Chopra okay, on Sunday? He was talking about a guy named Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra is a spiritualist. And if you ever see him on YouTube, just go ahead and go somewhere else. There's no need to listen to him because it's very godless. And so um, we, we don't listen to that, that new age stuff, because it's going to get you nowhere near heaven. So stay away from, from, from folks like that. And then the church is the temple of God, which the Spirit resides. We don't boast in people, and we belong to God, and there is, of course, a great inheritance. So... So in closing, in maturity, it gives the world a lot of leeway in thinking, affections, and actions. There's nothing wrong with going to the rodeo or the car race or seeing those things because I did a funeral for Mr. Bruckner, and, and when he was a, a young man, they'd go to the car races and the rodeo and basketball and baseball games. Go have fun. Go to the beach. Go to Somerville. Go fishing. Go, go have fun. That's not worldly. It's when it affects this. And you begin acting like, remember when I told you the couple that was at the river and don't, that's worldly. We don't go there. And then when we are immature in Christ, there's stagnation in the growth of the individual or the body. And then we got the focus on ourselves and it leads to all these unnecessary things in the church. And then if we are growing and our mind is for the things of Christ, we give the Lord reign over our lives which uh, we allow the Spirit to guide us in our, with our cooperative efforts. Okay, we work with God. This is not God helps those who help themselves. It is not that. Notice God helps those who help themselves is, is you're doing it so that God will do it for you. That's not what it is, that we're walking with the Lord as the Holy Spirit is leading us. So I want to make sure that we don't get that out of, out of context. Okay, and so it is God as we are letting him lead us that causes the growth, the maturity is there, we influence others in a positive direction, and that when we're doing that and God's working through us, there's the growth within the body, uh, and we lead to others. So this is important that we see the distinction there that Paul's making only in the third chapter of this book, of this letter uh, to them, so that we would grow. Now, if you are somebody um, who... And I've been there. I got saved. Man, I was on fire. I thought everybody needed to be saved. I was weird, okay? And, <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, I had a Bible. I had everywhere I was going. It, it, was, it was radical change. And so then what happened? Then I didn't crash. Had some rough roads. And then I, I start turning. And then, then, I, then I start growing. So, so if, if you find yourself here or you're, or you're drifting, okay? If you would say, you know, I just, I don't, I don't want to keep doing that. I want to be involved 
with others. I want to be involved in the life of the body of Christ. It's never too late to start, okay? We have a no-guilt policy here. If you try something, you say, uh, Alan, God's not calling me to do that, praise the Lord, okay? Because you're not going to feel like, I don't want to let, I don't wanna let the, the staff down if I don't follow through on this. No, if you're not supposed to be there, I want you to be where God wants you. Let's work together and find out where that is so that you're, you're serving the Lord, you're growing in the Lord, you're, you're making connections with people, and the body is growing, and we're all benefiting because you're doing that. And that's what, what Paul is, is sharing here. So uh, as we uh, break up into our group,